uh, Kyle and uh, Devin. And that's, uh, that's the heart of the gospel where he looks beyond uh, our sin and looks to the cross and the provision given to us through Jesus Christ. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do pray that we might recognize just how great and deep a love there is that's found in the, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as uh, Paul writes in Romans, that God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, we pray as we, as we reflect upon that, you might cause us to think about the mission that you have called us to, to be a part of. And might we see each one of us as, as a vital part of uh, your army that is to be uh, spread throughout the world. Uh, for the cause of Christ. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, the, the message title is, What is the Owl All About? We have a service that comes uh, through our church, I think, on a quarterly basis, which uh, tries to deal with all the, the uh, spiders and ants and little critters that will seem to crawl through buildings all on their own without being invited. And as he was leaving the place, he, uh, he asked, uh, well, have you had any other uh, sources of problems recently? And and I felt like saying, well, yeah, we've got an owl problem. There's these owls that are just kind of popping up in a variety of places. And we've had a number of people say, well, what are the owls about? And they're, they're kind of spooky and it's kind of weird. And uh, is there a purpose for them in the sanctuary? Some thought actually they were used to discourage a little critters walking around here. In fact, in various places or times, that has been true where owls have been... Um, put in strategic places. In fact, the custom of nailing an owl to a barn door to ward off evil and lightning uh, persisted into the 19th century. Owls are, have an interesting uh, kind of a pop culture with that in a variety of different cultures where they have been seen to be of, of great fascination. Uh, people have looked at them as uh, powerful critters to be feared, to be venerated, to be despised, admired, considered wise and foolish and associated with witchcraft and medicine, the weather, birth, and death. And speculation has been everywhere with owls. In fact, in the Indian folklore, it's, uh, it's probably described as we would normally or often think about owls. Owls are a source of wisdom or helpfulness. We know um, in the Greek culture that was true. Aesop fables, uh, owls were somehow linked to that which was wise or useful or helpful. Well, at Grace Hills Church, how, how are we using the word owl? Well, really, if you've uh, looked at the outline at all, you kind of got an idea of what it's all about. Owl is just a tool to remind us of what is really important in God's program or plan. You know, what, what should be a simple process or priority of ministry for, for our church, or in many ways, um, most churches, in terms of how each of one of us can be connected. Whenever I hear a person like Kyle sing, I'm thinking, uh, there's one thing I know I can't do. I can't do exactly what he just did. Okay, anybody else want to volunteer and, and try to have a little American Idol here on Grace Hill's uh, stage right this morning? We would probably say that. There's no way I'm going to be able to do that. And so sometimes when we see people do whatever they do and do well, we think, well, that's what ministry is all about. Now, that is a t- kind of ministry, and that is a gift or talent used for ministry, but there is a ministry for all of us. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we think about what is the owl all about. Uh, just a little other trivia without, you know, there are 32 families of owls and there are 222 species of owls. And so if you want me to name them all off, I will name them this morning, but I'll, I'll resist that temptation. But if you have your Bibles this morning, you have your outlines, uh, why don't we just dive into it as we, as we look at some things that God uh, can use in our ministry. And we want this to be part of the DNA of our church because we want people to understand, well, what is it all about? What are you trying to do and how are you trying to do it at Grace Hills Church? 
and it can be remembered in this acronym, OWL. And the, the first letter of OWL is the letter O, and it stands for oikos. And we've been sharing that word for a number of uh, months and years, actually a couple of years probably, in terms of trying to emphasize what God wants all of us to be involved in. When we talk about oikos, we're talking about what we do when we leave this place. Uh, we, we're here for a couple hours a, a, a Sunday and might come back for a variety of other things uh, and then meet throughout in homes and other activities as well. But particularly as we gather for this place, it's a couple hours, but we scatter most of our, our week. And, and what are we supposed to be doing when we're scattering? We're supposed to be talking about Christ and serving Christ. Now, as we talk about Christ and serving Christ, sometimes we get discouraged, think, well, just, is it accomplishing much? Is it really that vital for what we do the other hours of the week? Well, I want you to understand that they have done extensive surveys in terms of understanding, well, why do people come to Christ? And actually, it's not put exactly right in your outline. The major reason people come to Christ and, you can scratch out the word serve there, and church is, is why. You know, why do people come to Christ and why do people come to a particular church? Well, they've had a variety of... Uh, they did a survey in 50 states in America a number of years ago. There were 17 people involved in this survey, and they just... Thousands of people, they asked the question, why, do you, why did you come to faith in Christ, and why do you go to the church you're going to? And this is, this is the variety of responses they got out. They said, I came because of a special need. Now, the, the percentage of people who said that in America was about 1% to 2%. There's a particular concern or need in your life, and you came to church. And that's a great reason, but it's not the most prevalent reason. Another reason is there was a visitation program. Someone knocked on my door, uh, didn't particularly know them, but they uh, started talking to me, struck up a conversation, and because of that, one thing led to another, and I'm I'm now at church. That's a great program. I've done a lot of that in my life. Uh, Some people just walk in. They saw a church sign, maybe an advertisement, whatever it might be, and they say, well, I want to check that church out. Uh... Church programs, maybe there's something that they're doing that I really like. Maybe it's a sports program or an ESL class, which we offer at our church and a variety of other things we do. And they say 2 to 3% of people uh, come to church or faith in Christ because of that. Then how about Sunday school? Sunday school was the program in America for churches since uh, the 1800s. You could even say in the 1700s a little bit, I think. And, and that was a prevalent door, or open door for people to uh, find Christ and connect to a church. And then... The particular reason I enjoy the most is, well, how about the ministry of that particular pastor? The reason I come to that church is because that pastor is there. You know, he waxes eloquent every Sunday, and he's just an engaging personality, and he's so handsome, and he's so, well, anyway. well you know, is that the reason people come to church? And they say, well, about 5 to 6% of people come to church for that reason. I mean, that's why my parents come to that church, because the pastor is so... Oh, yeah. So, you know, 5 to 6% of why people come to church. And there are some exceptions. Some churches have, the, have really awesome dynamic pastors, and it is a huge draw. But even then, they say the percentage is rather lower than you would expect. Well, how about evangelist, evangelistic crusades? You know, filling up stadiums, and then there's that trickle-down effect where, where people land in a church. Well, the statistic they found for that in terms of the people actually come uh, to a church for that reason is less than 1%. It's about 0.5%. So what is the prevalent reason? 75 to 90% of the people surveyed in this particular survey as far as why you came to faith in Christ and the church you're at, they said because of a family member or a friend. Somebody I knew and trusted and was connected to invited me 
or told me their story, or told me God's story, and one thing led to another, and that's why I came to faith in Christ, or that's why I came to church. And I would dare say, if we were to take a survey here, the most influential person that brought you to faith in Christ was somebody you knew, somebody that you trusted. And so as we look at that, what God has called His church, His people in the church to be, is to carry that baton on is to recognize everyone in this room knows some people others do not know, or you know some people that, that you know better than other people in this church knows, and you have the opportunity to be that person who can influence them better than anybody else to be brought to Christ in His church. And that's why we need to expand our vision to not only our neighbors, but people we connect with in terms of the community, whether we shop with them or we play certain types of activities or sports where you play bridge with them, whatever it might be, uh, down by the pool, whatever it might be, that we might see those are opportunities for us to know people and to try to connect with them and invite them to Christ and His church. 75 to 90% of people who come to Christ and to faith are because a family member or a friend connected with them. So that puts us all in the marching orders to, to be involved in what God does. Now, the word that kind of best describes that in the New Testament is the word oikos. Now, in the owl, that's the first letter there, and it's the kind of the first priority for us. We're, we're called to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. How does that happen? As each one of us reaches out and tries to connect with people within our sphere of relationship, our neighbors, our family circles, whatever it might be, and invest our life in them and invite them to hear our story, God's story, or to Christ, or to to, to church, or or some event where they can hear and connect more about the things of Christ. Well, let's see how that's done in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, uh, you might turn to them. A number of the passages are on the the screen this morning. But we've been going through a series where we're hoping this year to go through all 27 books of the New Testament. Questions asked and answered, but trying to get an understanding in a big way of the of the books that God has given us in the, in the New Testament. We've looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and a little bit in John. And it's interesting, if you go to each one of those books, you'll see this oikos principle played out. In Matthew chapter 9, we have the story of Jesus reaching out to a tax collector. And it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And so he rose and followed him. So Jesus brought Matthew into his uh, oikos real quick. He met him on the street. Um, He saw interest in him and called him into a relationship. But what's interesting in verse 10, what happened? And there's some time frame in between here, probably. But now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the, what's the next word there? House. The word house there is the word oikos. And what, as we look at this house, Sometimes we think of a house as only the people that, that are blood relatives. But that's not what was in this house or oikos. It goes on and describes them. That behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So what did Matthew do when he came to faith in Jesus Christ? He threw a party and invited people into his house or his oikos or his household. And all his best friends were people he worked with, other tax collectors. 
Uh, there were people that were kind of outcast in that society because a tax collector in that day was considered a, a traitor to, to Israel. And, and anyone that wasn't in good standing with the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, the religious folk were considered sinners. So he invited all these who were sick to see the great physician. And how did that happen? He didn't go out on a corner and put on a, um, a big sign, you know, you know, repent or go to hell. He simply asked his friends to come to his household and hear the story about Jesus. That's the oikos. He did that which was natural. And there might have been some time between verse 9 and verse 10, but there probably wasn't a whole lot of time. He didn't have to go through a 13-week course on evangelism. He didn't have to uh, have... His testimony reviewed by 10 people. He simply invited people to experience what he had experienced. Well, that's true in, in the Gospel of Matthew. How about, how about the next Gospel? How about, Mark chap- how about the Gospel of Mark? Turn to Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, we have, again, some of the passages on the, on the outline this morning are on the screen. But in Mark chapter 5, we have a different fellow that had encountered Jesus. It was a man who was demon-possessed. He was a man that was totally out of mind. In fact, he was unclothed and not in his right mind. And he was a crazy man, and it was because of an evil spirit within him. We encountered Jesus, and Jesus had changed his life. Now, this was a radical change. And, and there are all kinds of changes people get. So, some of them are, are, is in my life, where I, I came to faith in Christ early in life, and there aren't necessarily the dramatic changes, but there were changes. And then you have those who are just totally turned around, and it was obvious to all. This was the case of this tax collector. And this tax collector, I mean, not this tax collector, that was true of him as well, but it's true of this demon-possessed man. But, and what was the response to this demon-possessed man? The obvious, he wanted to be with Jesus, and we've said this before, verse 18. And when he got in the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. And this him is referring to Jesus. And wouldn't that be natural? If you had met Jesus, totally changed your life, wherever Jesus went, you would want to what? Go with him. And interesting what Jesus says. He says no, verse 19. And this is on the screen. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. And the word home there is the word oikos. Go to your oikos and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Now here there was no real significant time change here. Nothing had really passed. He had received Jesus he once was, in a sense, blind. Now he could see. He says, now just tell people where you got your sight. And that's exactly what he did. He simply went to the people he knew and just said, God has had mercy on me. Now, again, we have to think of the implication here. The implication here is he simply was an expert on his testimony. He knew what he had experienced, and he knew who had done it. It was Jesus. And so often we're so afraid of the W word, the witness word, or the E word, evangelism word. But it's simply just talking about Christ. It's simply living out the life and then telling people what you've experienced. And that's what happened to the demon-possessed man. He was told to go to his oikos, to his home, and tell his friends and family. Well, let's look at the Gospel of Luke. Does Luke have that same idea? This is actually a a chapter we've looked at in our series, uh, Luke chapter 19. And this is the story of Zacchaeus, another tax collector. Now, it's interesting just to note this as well. You know, Jesus, as he called people to himself, he had a, he had a top 12, right? And one of those he knew was going to betray him, so he had 11 people that he called that were really going to be 
his spokesman for him in a big way. None of them were like me in the sense that they were, none of them were religiously endowed. Okay? They, they weren't professional uh, people of the cloth. He called tax collectors. He called fishermen. He called some zealots. He called, he, he called just people. And again, again, you see him experiencing calling out a tax collector. Verse 5, And when he came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house, or oikos. And then we see what happened when he got to that place. Verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this, what's the next word there? House. And that word house there is oikos. Now, he's not saying because Zacchaeus believed that automatically made everybody in his house believers. But what he is saying here is what happened naturally is when people know you and can trust you, that often that's the avenue, 75 to 90 percent of the time that's what happens, people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. So as we look at this, this is God's program for God's people and God's church, is us to be an oikos-driven church as we as we see our mission field, the people that we know. And that can always expand as you get to know new people. Let's look at the Gospel of John. We've looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke. How about John? Does, he, does John also have that same flavor? It's so tempting to kind of st- spend a long time here in John chapter 4. And actually, this next Lord's, um, this next uh, week, if you're in a life group, you'll be studying John chapter 4, the first part of it verses 1 through 26, where you'll see Jesus being a person who brings a person into his oikos, the woman at the well, and presents the gospel to her. But in John chapter 4, we, we see what happens when someone encounters Jesus. Looking at verse 46. So Jesus came to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And the noble said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. But listen on to the story. Verse goes on and says, So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And he was now going down the... Your ser- the, the servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And then he inquired of them the hour that he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fe- fever left him. And so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to his son, Your son lives. And then the important point here. And he himself believed in his whole... What's the next word there? Household. That word household is the word what? Oikos. You know, Jesus is able to do the miraculous. He doesn't even have to be in the physical presence of someone. And it's not only the faith of uh, the person that's significant, but even sometimes the faith of the person not there. That, that son was not involved in that conversation, but Jesus did the miraculous. But the biggest miracle was not that the son, who was almost dead, uh, was completely healed, but that these people in his household came to faith in Jesus Christ. And why? Because the nobleman gave testimony of what he experienced with Jesus. What's the simple point here? Oikos is a big thing for God. Not so much the word itself, but just to realize that God wants us to impact the people that we know. That's our mission field. 
and that multiplies out as we connect with people that know us. You know, it's not only true in the Gospels, but you, you can see it throughout the New Testament. Just look in one other book, the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 11, and we won't dissect this, but in Acts chapter 11, we have, in the verse I have in your outlines this morning, we have the story of, or actually it's the retelling of the story of Peter encountering uh, Cornelius. And, and this, was a, this was kind of a big step because now we had the first time of the gospel going to a, a, a non-Jewish person, a Gentile. And that wasn't too kosher for Jewish people. They, they didn't really think that was supposed to happen. Gentile people were to, become, were to become Jews, and then they can encounter God. Well, God had reversed this now. It was a direct line to, to God. And, and so Peter encounters Cornelius, goes to his house, and presents the gospel, and Cornelius uh, comes to know Jesus Christ. And then in telling the story, he simply says, who will tell your words by which you and all your household or oikos will be saved? Again, the influence of Peter to Cornelius to his, the members of his household uh, changed people's lives. Then you have the experience in Acts chapter 16, the story of Lydia, where Lydia, uh, a woman um, that was a seller of purple in the city of Thyatira and had worshipped God. She, uh, she spoke to God and her life was changed. And then in verse uh, 15, it says that her household came to faith as well. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house or oikos and say. And, and so that a church was actually formed in her oikos or her household. And then you have in Acts chapter 16, you have the story of the, uh, the, jail, uh, the jailer. Remember that story? Silas and, and Paul are having a, a choir program in the jail. There's only two people in it, but they were singing and giving praises to God. Earthquake comes. The jailer thinks everyone's taken off, and so his life now is about over because you don't, you don't lose people in jail if you're a Roman, um, over a Roman uh, jail. Uh, but they stay there, remain, and he, they preach the gospel to him. And then it says in verse 33, And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. And again, family is not just blood relatives. They've done some research on that is, is Interesting enough, sometimes there were four generations within a household within the, the world of that time. There were, there were numerous people. And then it not only included people in your family line, but servants and people in your employee, employee, that were employed by you, friends and neighbors might just hang around. And, and so as we think about this is the challenge for each one of us. Now, what's my point? And here's where it gets to each, each one of us this morning, is we are responsible for the people we know. We ought to, number one, identify the people that, are, are, that we know that are outside Christ's family. We need to begin praying daily for them. We need to look for opportunities to tell our story, God's story, our testimony, and then we need to be looking for opportunities to invite them to Christ and His church. That's why God has left us here, to reach out into our world, our oikos world, and be a witness for Him. And so that's, that's in the DNA of Grace Hills. That's what we want to equip, train, and push people out through the rest of the week to be a witness for Him. Now, secondly, the other thing that's so important as far as God's people and what we're trying to do in terms of a process of ministry is recognize God is calling His people to worship. And that's what the W stands for. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 5, we have this statement as it relates to 
the, the life of the, that first church. It says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching. Jesus is the Christ. They went in public arenas, the temple, and they went in more private, personal arenas, the house, to, to live out their life. God wants his people to gather for worship, to honor and love Christ, and he wants us to scatter to serve and talk about Christ. And, and that was just the setting of God's people. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it tells us what we ought to be doing when we're together. And, and let us consider how to, how to, how to uh, stir up love and good works among God's people, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Do you know some people who are professing Christians that, that don't consider it a high priority to be in worship? I mean, I know scores of people that way. And, and the response is, well, I don't, I don't need to be in worship to be a good Christian. Well, that's true and not true at the same time, isn't it? God has called his people to worship. And even in that first church, they struggled with that. And he said, don't be like a lot of people. Don't forsake the assembling together of God's people. God delights to hear the praises of his people. And when we all praise God together, it just stirs our hearts to be more in love with him. And that's why we make it a habit. You know, I don't get up each, each Sunday and pray about, well, should I go to church today? Of course, I work here. I have to come here. But, you know, before that, I, I didn't do that. The worship was just a part of who I was because I was a follower of Christ. But some get out of that habit. As the writer of Hebrews said back then, and it's still true today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it said it was the habit of God's people to meet on the Lord's day to worship and to give until, uh, unto His eternal kingdom program. And then as you think about that, it's, it's God's call for us to understand that not only are we called to not forsake the assembly together, but we're also called to recognize that worship should be a lifestyle. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of what? Worship. Everything that we do throughout the week should be an act of honor, pleasing to God. I came across a story last week that kind of struck me how, how easy it is to look at things in a, in a different way. And it was a story about this uh, little boy. And uh, he had come to church a little bit late. And uh, his Sunday school teacher, you know, remarked about that and said, uh, you're not usually late. What happened? And, and he said, well, I almost didn't come to church today because I was going to go fishing. Uh, well, then why didn't you go fishing? He says, well, my, my dad said uh, that's not right. I should, I should go to church. It's important to go to church, uh, you know, on Sunday. And the teacher was very impressed and asked the boy if his dad explained to him why it was more important to go to church than go fishing. And the boy replied, yes. Uh, yes, he did. Dad said he didn't have enough bait for both of us. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good for other people being worse. I'm not sure it's that good for me. You know, if you, miss, if you miss one day of worship, you miss the whole week. You know, um, you know, if I took my kids out of school for one day, that was one day of the, of the five days. But if they missed a day on Sunday, they missed the whole week. And, and so we need to see the priority of that because God has called his people to come together to encourage one another and to lift up praise of God's name. And so it ought to be just part of who we are. 
interesting enough, in John chapter 4, as Jesus is reaching out to his oikos, as he speaks to the woman who had a kind of a issue about where you ought to worship, uh, geography was important to her, and that was kind of the debate between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. Uh, and, and Jesus just said, you know, God is seeking, the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And in many ways, as you think about what God is calling people to be, he's calling us to be believers. But you could also say this fundamentally, he's calling us to be worshipers. And when we don't worship, we're not doing what God has not only created us to be, but redeemed us to be. And so a priority is to reach out to our oikos, to be people who long to be in a place of worship on a regular basis. And then thirdly, God is calling His people to be a people who who do life together. And the, the L in owl, oikos, worship, and then life, life groups. There are certain things you cannot do in the Christian life if you only do it in a a public meeting like this. Basically, for most of you're seeing the back of other people's heads. You know, you got a talking head up here, but you got you got the back of heads, you know, in terms of where you're seated. And God wants us to interact with what He is teaching us. If Oikos is 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 scattering to talk about and serve Christ, and light and worship is to gather together to to love and honor Christ, then life groups are are calling us to grow in Christ and grow in Christ together. You, you can't grow as a lone ranger. Even, even the lone ranger at who? Tonto. I mean, you just need other people to, to spur you on in, in an honest, open relationship where you're interacting together. You know, the Word of God has a variety of examples of that. In Acts chapter 2, we have the example of the, the people gathering together for the breaking of God's bread, for the praying together to examine God's teaching and interact with that. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20, and we're just going to race through some of these scriptures, you have the Apostle Paul saying, he said, I've kept nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So even Paul in his ministry, he saw the ministry of, of kind of preaching and teaching in large gatherings, but he, he longed for those times where there was interaction with God's truth, as he did it from house to house. And then Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 16. You know, here are a section of the one another's. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. You can't do that apart from being involved in people's lives. But I want to spend a few moments in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it kind of focuses on the, 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 the priority of growing your relationship with Christ. But it puts it in an interesting context. Now let me read this section and then go back and look at a couple of the phrases within it. Peter writes this, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So he speaks to a, a church, and he's speaking to church people here. So let's just be honest. This is, this is the audience he has. He does throw in the gospel a little bit and said, now, if you haven't tasted the kindness of the Lord, you better make sure you got that done. 
But I want you to understand that if you come to faith in Christ, then you need to really grow in him. And you really need to long for the Lord of God like a little baby longs for the milk that keeps the baby alive. But before that, interesting enough, he, he gives a list of things that we've got to get rid of if we're going to be able to receive the word of God for all it's worth. He said, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Now again, who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to the church. Now, we began this message looking at oikos, and what's the number one reason why people come to church? People come to church because of people particularly people who are their family and friends. That's why people come in. Now, let's, I have not a great survey on this, but from my own personal experience, why do people leave a church? Because of people, right? And often it might be their closest friends. You have a close friend betray you? Man, you're out that door quicker than you can imagine. Now, what we need to understand is the church is the training ground for God's people. Now, let me ask you this. If you really want to get better at forgiving, then you need to be around people who need to be what? Forgiven. Isn't that true? I mean, how, how are you going to get better at forgiving if you don't have to forgive anybody, right? Uh, if you need to learn how to be um, uh, more kind, then you need to be around people who you have a hard time being what? Kind too. I mean, it's easy to be kind to people who are kind to you in return. Jesus used that word love. He says it's easy to love people who love you in return. How about, uh, I'm sure none of you have ever had this happen to you where someone has spoken evil of you. We might not use the word evil. We might use the word gossip. Maybe you might have said some things that weren't exactly true or maybe said some things that you didn't like somehow. Whatever it might be. Well, if you want to get better at not doing that yourself, then you need to be around people who have done it so you can say, that's what I don't want to do. And so as you think about life groups or you think about being involved in a small group, it's, it's being a group of people where you can learn what God wants you to learn. I mean, take hypocrisy. I mean, that's the number one thing that people say. I'm not sure exactly if they've experienced it as much as they say they've experienced, but I don't want to go to church because it, the church is filled with hypocrites. Well, if you want to learn not to be a hypocrite, then at least watch other people being hypocritical, and then you say, I don't want to be like that, all right? And the whole idea of deceit, you know, the, 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 actually in this list, for my money's worth, I, I would say that the most damning, using it in the most correct term, sin is the sin of being deceived. Now this is a deceit, so this person might be knowing he's deceitful and deceiving others. But the, the most difficult a sin is, is having a sin you're not aware that you have being deceived about how well you're doing when maybe you're not doing that well. And, and sometimes you need people in your life who will, who will point the finger at you and say, you know, you're off the mark here and here and here. And, and bring you up to that place where saying, here's an area in your life that needs to be worked on. So as we think about life groups, it, it's the purpose of gathering people together to pray with each other and for each other, to rejoice with those who are doing well, to weep with those who are, who are going through difficult times. And often that happens in, in life groups where people are, are, they have loved ones that are going through the, the most difficult times and, 
And, uh, and, and sometimes, uh, I just think Jeanette had opportunity to see Glenda this week, and Glenda's gone through cancer surgery, the throat, and, and uh, it's now at the stage where, where they really can't give her any more chemotherapy, which needs to happen. And I, I, was, I had seen her in the hospital in a variety of different ways, and I, I went and saw her uh, actually late Thursday night, and, and I was expecting one thing and I experienced another. I mean, she, she was... She was smiling. She was a good spirit. Um, she had a, uh, some of you understand, she had to stick your finger on whatever to be able to speak so you could hear her uh, at her trach coming out there. And actually, she was speaking pretty loudly. I understand most of the things she had to say. And, you know, it, what, what I thought was going to be kind of a downer, you know, was a, was a great joy because here I was the one who went through suffering and was experiencing God's grace. And I have Renee in uh, my small group on Tuesday nights, and it's always uh, it's just amazing um, how positive she is after going through so much. And now she has shingles trying to get ready for another surgery. And, and so you, you're in that environment where you just see, man, if they can do it, I can do it by God's grace. So what's the point this morning? The point we understand what we're trying to do at Grace Hills is get a a a people of God, a family of God, committed to Oikos, reaching out to their world. That's their mission field. Secondly, to be a, a people that that long to be involved in worship, to be to lift it up, to proclaim the praises of God, and to and to encourage one another together on on a worship day. To be a people throughout the week that that get in a small group. And some of you I know have small groups, you know. Um, with Bible Study Fellowship and other places, but get some place where you are connected and that you are being honest with. We have life groups here. We have some Sunday school classes here, and, and we're, we're trying to do that here. And, and some of you are in multiple groups, which I am as well, because some of us need more than other people need it, okay? Is, is that just be with people and, and live it out genuinely. I was, I was reading a, a, a story about something that happened in the White House, I think a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you came across it, but... Uh, Peter uh, Torelli, I'm not sure I'm saying that name right, but he was at a White House dinner, and uh, he happens to be the, the second highest ranking general in our armed services. He's a four-star four general. And it was at some dinner, I don't even know what the occasion was, but there, at his particular table there was a uh, uh, White House spokesman, uh, Valerie uh, Jarrett. And as he was walking down the aisle, he hadn't got to his table yet, uh, he went by the table, and he was in his uh, full um, dress uniform, and there was a stripe down his leg, which was very interesting. It, was, it looked very much like the waiters and waitresses, what they were wearing. And um, Valerie Jarrett turned and said, would you get me a drink? You know, you know here's this four-star general, second in command of all of him. And, and, you know, what was he going to do at that moment? Well, he stopped and went to get the drink and filled her glass. And then all of a sudden she realized what she had done. Now, he could at that moment really embarrass her. And he said, no, no, that's quite all right. I was glad to help in any way I could. In fact, the, the back end of the story, he has now invited her over to his home with his wife to just to show love and support and whatever. Yeah, what did he do with that single act? He, he saw himself not as a, as a person of prominence, but as a person just here to serve. And that's what God wants from His people. No matter, however we've been gifted or talented, whatever time we have, whatever energy we have, God, just use me in whatever way you can and, and help me to touch people's lives. 
and even be a servant when I'm treated like a servant. Because Jesus came to serve and to save and give his life a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray together. Father, we, we ask that we might be a people called out into a world so needing to be um, rescued from the plight they're in. And Father, we come to faith when we admit our need and turn from our sin, and when we believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for our sins and rose again, and we commit to follow Jesus as Lord God and Savior. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't made that commitment, might they just, even where they sit, bow their heart before you and say, Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me of the wrong in my life, the sin of my life, and come into my life right now and be, be the leader of my life. And Father, for us to know you, help us just to see that whatever we do can be done for the honor and glory of God. And help us to reach out into those people in our lives that don't know you. And help us to live it in front of them and, and then speak about you. Father, help us to be a church that understands that we need to reach out to our oikos, that we're excited about worship. And then we do life together as we just study God's word and, and uh, share with each other. Help us to be the church you want us to be. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. As we conclude our time together, if you'd like to pray with another, find out more about what it means to know Christ, or even as we've had a couple of people today get baptized, we invite you to come as we sing. Let's stand this morning as we sing, Come Thou Pout of Every Blessing.